the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Oral Sessions. I'm Renee Paquette. This is a show that is hosted by me. We've been having on some really fun guests as of late. Some would say knocking it out of the park. I mean, that's how I feel. Not necessarily my performance wise, but just booking wise in general. Nailing it. I feel very good about it. I'm having a lot of fun doing it. That's the best part about this show is the fun that I get to have in the chats that I get to have. I mean, whether it's with like old friends, people I know very well that I can like, you know, kind of lead the the conversation to things that maybe we've not heard about from them before to, to having on new guests and me meeting new people, which, you know, some of those episodes are coming up because they're already in the can, let me tell you. But today on this episode of Oral Sessions, I bring on the one, the only the conspiracy theorist himself, Sammy Zane. Now, let's keep in mind here that, first of all, I did record this episode prior to his WrestleMania match announcement with Kevin Owens. Also, before we knew for sure that Logan Paul was going to be showing up on SmackDown. So, whew, busy things happening for Sammy Zayn. But regardless, we had a hell of a chat. This is like what I would call the quintessential Sammy Zayn chat. One of my favorite things to do, and we talk about this uh, in the episode, is just like the time that we would spend shooting the shit backstage. Like seeing Sami Zayn when I had a slow day and he had a slow day at TVs for Raw or SmackDown or a pay-per-view or something were like really glorious moments. We would sit in catering and just bullshit all day long about different philosophies, different things on life, what's going on in our personal lives, all those things. So this, I mean, basically this entire episode starts with um, Sammy's whole uh, perspective on how we live like medieval kings and queens. And he's not wrong. He is not wrong. But yeah, I mean, we, we talk about just different perspectives on things on, in life, um, things that we are grateful for. Uh, we talk about luck versus hard work. We talk about traveling the world, how uh, Sammy feels like it was his obligation while on the road being paid to travel for work, doing the thing that he loves, that he should go out and, and see the sights and sounds and the tastes and the people and all of those things. And I wholeheartedly agree with him because, I mean, it's a fast life. And sometimes you forget to pop your head up, get a little fresh air and see what's happening on the outside world when you're so wrapped up in the world of WWE. But Sammy does such a good job of like striking that balance of, you know, putting in all the work that he needs to put in to be the best WWE superstar that he can be, while also just garnering all of this world traveler experience under his belt that makes him even more of a fascinating human being. We went on and on and on, uh, but more than anything, just a hell of a time to have on a good friend and get to catch up a little bit. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Take a, get a little takeaway from this interview with Sami Zayn. Here we go. The one, the only, Sami Zayn. I just said his name about 14 times. You guys know who the episode's about. Have I done the rant with you about how we live like medieval kings? No. I can have world-class Mexican food, Thai food, Italian food, from all food from all over the world, cuisine. 
I don't even have to lift a finger. Literally, I press a button and it's delivered to my door. Like you don't even have to type in your address or your credit card. It's all just there. Think of that. If you went back five, six hundred years, who, who did that? Kings and queens, get me this, get me that. And it's all just there at your feet. That's how the everyday person lives now. It's crazy. It's funny because there's like, the, it's like the little annoyances that you get with that. So during COVID and all that, we were ordering in our groceries because I, you know, I had gotten it and whatever. We were just like locked in at home. So I was like, oh, we can have our groceries delivered. But then you're like, oh, I wanted one tomato. I don't need a pound of tomatoes. You get like annoyed at like what the person brought or like through Postmates, I have them just like drop it outside the door because I don't need them to ring my doorbell, but they always ring the doorbell. And then my dogs go nuts. And these are the little dumb things that I get to complain about. These are the things that maybe a thousand years ago, a king or an emperor would have beheaded someone for this. <laughs> two tomatoes. Who said two tomatoes? Gone. <laughs> Gone. And now maybe I don't know what you do. Off with his head. Do you even even decrease the tip? No, you're like, "Ah, I feel too bad. (laughs) Whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you're annoyed with yourself. You're like, just 25%. Sure, take it. I just think, I don't know. I'm really on this kick lately. And you're not the first person I talked to about it by any means. But I'm really on this huge kick of recognizing our collective interdependency. You know, like we don't really do anything on our own, nothing. The idea that we do anything on our own is such a fallacy and it's just sort of ingrained itself into our culture, especially in like, for example, the the easiest thing since, you know, the world of wrestling, one of the the stories that we tell ourselves a lot in wrestling is I worked 10 years to get here. And there's this whole thing as if you did everything, the amount of people that had to help you and the amount of variables that had to line up for you to get anywhere it's, you almost can't even measure it, right? So I just think it's very important in reshaping the culture, not just of wrestling, of the world, of everything, because we've gotten into this super individualistic mindset, which I think is completely just, uh, it's, I honestly think it's a little dangerous, actually, the idea that we're responsible for everything. I mean, you're still putting in the hard work. You can't knock the hard work that you would have put in to do that. I mean, but I if do, we want to talk I do knock like, the hard work. But why? I, do, I mean, because- you look at you look at what you have done. I mean, if we're just keeping this in wrestling context, I mean, from you going from like from El Generico into Sami Zayn and you're making these towns and you're Supposedly. traveling to supposedly yeah so i've heard i don't know i don't know if it's true i bought the shirt though um (laughs) like traveling through canada traveling to the u.s all over europe like you're still doing those things but that's to me that's implied like yeah obviously you have to get off your couch if you want to get somewhere but that's implied (laughs) but everybody works hard i didn't i didn't outwork i didn't work harder than the construction people who are working around the corner from my house are working you know what I mean? There, there are people doing far harder work for far less. And that work that we talk about as being hard work, I, because I, okay, I don't know. You know that old saying, if uh, you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I never viewed that as work. I really did it. It wasn't a chore for me at the age of 26 to go to Germany or to go to Italy or to go to Spain. I don't really know like what to call this like complex, but you feel like guilty for your success almost. Is that accurate? It's not entirely accurate, but there is a profound sadness for people not that I have for other people not having what I have because I don't deserve it any more than they do. That's the thing. Sure. I guess it's just a matter of like pointing yourself in the direction of the thing that you want to do and then marching forward in that direction. And those people have just chosen not to do that. 
it's a little more complex than that though. Cause I don't think it's just like they've chosen not to do it. So it means like, again, this is the danger of that mindset. Am I a prime example of it right no, now? No, no, no. But maybe <laughs> look, maybe, maybe, maybe these are things that you've heard so much that they ingrain themselves into your psyche as well, or your worldview, but I'm challenging some of that, not just with you, myself, of course. And I think we all need to challenge, uh, that a little bit. I've missed you, dude. I miss having these conversations. <laughs> yeah. Cause this is basically a backstage conversation or a conversation we would have had this in catering that happens. would have lasted an hour yeah, and a half. If anyone wants to know what happens at Raw and SmackDown, it's this. <laughs> Especially on a day where I wasn't too busy, you weren't too busy. It was just this for three hours. Just hang in catering and have these conversations. Oh my God. So funny. I lost my thought. Back, can you back up a tiny bit? What were you saying just then? I was saying, um, oh, yeah, yeah. About I was saying, like, point yourself in the direction. Past. Yes. Life's so much more complicated than that. Okay. It's not just like, oh, I know my goal is to be a billionaire. So I'll work towards being a billionaire. And then if you do, you'll just be a billionaire. It's not, obviously, it's not that simple. You know, there are far more complex reasons why certain people end up where they end up and other people don't end up where they, where they want to go. You know what I mean? There's, it's very, very complex. Well, what do you think that is? My God, where, where do you want to start? Like, are you like, I mean, it depends on like what your outlook is. Are we saying like, oh, like it's, it's fate. People have been chosen to do something or no. people have just been dealt a shit hand. Yeah. I'm, I'm way more of the opinion. And now again, you're getting into some very meta subjects here, like fate versus free will, destiny and free will. And I don't know, these are very complex uh, issues and there is no answer, you know, there is no answer. But I guess I skew a bit more towards the idea of a whole lot of luck, whole lot of luck. But don't you think that you are the creator of your luck? To your point, within reason, you can create your own luck a little bit by being in the right place at the right time. But even then, again, you're, you're, you're just like ignoring so many variables. Cause if you think about the variables that took for you to get anything out of bed, <laughs> you know what I mean? To wake up in the morning, the amount of things that had to just go right. Especially these days, I'm like a turtle on its back. Shit. <laughs> Where are you? How far are you along now? 20, 20, 20. 28 weeks. That's just over. Oh no, that's the, you're starting to hit the tougher part now, huh? Sure am. 28. Is that, are you entering the third trimester now? I'm in third trimester. Yeah. Yeah. Second is like the, oh, I don't I'm mind like being pregnant. Right? Now I'm just yeah. like heavy and hot. I'm like, oh God. Anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Okay. So getting out of bed, just, just that variable alone of like getting your day started. Yeah. Yeah. So look, okay. For example, you, you want to be a wrestler in the WWE. So if you, first of all, are lucky enough to be born healthy, boom, one right off the bat or born with a natural predisposition or an aptitude for wrestling. And you're not, you know, your personality happens to gel with that and you're athletic. Like these are all variables that in a lot of ways are out of your control. They're they're things that were, you're either born with or you weren't for starters. So right off the bat, you're dealt a good hand. Right. And another thing that I started realizing when I was doing seminars around the world and all this stuff is, Hey, I'm lucky to be not only born healthy and born athletic or had an aptitude for athletics and an aptitude for showmanship and this and that, that who knows where and when I developed that, but at a very young age, I was also lucky to be born in Canada and Montreal that was within striking distance from the Northeast and being able to get on shows. But for, you know, sometimes I would, I would do these seminars in Spain or Italy or uh, Sweden or wherever in countries that didn't really have a scene. 
or that there was no access to wrestling or training or the contacts or anything. So, you know, there's some kid in like Qatar right now or somewhere or like in Sudan, God knows where there's some kid who's like, I want to be a WWE wrestler. All right. Well, now you've got the deck stacked pretty far against you because you're in Sudan. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you're already in a country with. Uh, Unless you're Manny and Manny's pulled it off. Well, now the doors open a little bit more very recently in the Middle East and India because WWE is on a global mission to get talent from all over the world. But even that's a very new trend. The last five years I was on the first, I was on, I was, I helped um, coach. I was like the assistant coach to the first tryout we did for the Middle East, North Africa and um, India. And that was a big deal for those guys. Like it was an opportunity and not all of them were in love with wrestling and it was their boyhood dream or whatever, or but it was still a remarkable opportunity that never would have presented itself 10 years ago. Like you're just some guy who's in pretty good shape and you live in Lebanon or whatever you live in uh, Abu Dhabi. And someone's like, Hey, do you want to be a WWE wrestler? That, that just did not exist. And now all of us didn't exist. And now add to that, if you already love wrestling and want to be a wrestler, that somebody's like, Hey, there's a tryout and it's coming here where it's never been ever. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And now, you know, add 180 countries where the tryouts don't go. The next time you're watching basketball, I've got the perfect way for you to get in on the action for free. I'm talking about NBA in play. It's absolutely free to play on the FanDuel app and features all the fun of live betting. NBA in play turns every quarter of every game into a free contest where you can win real cash prizes. So while you're watching the game, all you have to do is predict the outcome of plays and game props before they happen to claim your share of the prize pool. Best of all, a new contest starts every quarter of every game, giving you even more ways to win. FanDuel is the exclusive home for NBA in-play, so the action's always available right at your fingertips on the FanDuel app. The app is so easy to use and it takes less than two minutes to sign up. And it doesn't matter where you live or where you're traveling to because NBA in-play is available in every state. Don't miss your shot. Get in the game and download the FanDuel app to start playing NBA in-play today. Ooh, there you go. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I thought you were falling down. I was like, oh my God, are you okay? (laughs) If I showed you, first of all, okay, uh, let's, let's pause, go on a small tangent. I've done a lot of podcasts, Zoom interviews, whatever. And I can't believe it has not been acknowledged that I have the worst background setup. Mine's trash. Look at this sloping brown couch. <laughs> it's not even my main couch. It's the spare room. And whatever. I'll just show it to you. Why not? We'll use it. This is my setup. <laughs> I, I put the phone here on this stack of Archie comics. And I have a little light here. <laughs> And okay, let it. me show you mine because I do this regularly and this is mine. All right. So we've got the spare room here. Tra la la. There you are. Oh, but whoa, then, that's trippy. But you're balanced on a book of Canadian history for dummies <laughs> that John bought uh, <laughs> with my little ring light. Oh, yeah, my it's, God. It's, I don't it's even, not I don't much have, more. I have a here. desk lamp that I bought from Target. <laughs> I think eight years ago, I threw it out. I was going to donate it. And then one day I was doing a call and I realized the overhead lighting's no good. So I took it out of the box. But hey, you know, you know how to rig up a little lighting. 
You're good to go. I like that we st- we stack our devices on these <laughs> on books. So we've really gone off and deviated into a million different things, as I figured that this would. That's how it should be, though. Oral Sessions is proud to be presented by FanDuel. You guys never played FanDuel Fantasy before? Great. FanDuel is offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match. Uh, why do I play FanDuel? I play FanDuel because I'm new to the fantasy game. I kind of need somebody to hold my hand through the whole process. And the thing with the FanDuel Fantasy app is that it's so incredibly easy to use. Even a dumb dumb like me can make it work. And if you happen to be a fence sitter like yours truly, you guys can pick a new team every single game. You can switch it up. You can change your mind. It's all up to you. Ball is in your court. So FanDuel is offering new users a deposit match of up to 500 smackaroos when you make your first deposit. Just go to FanDuel.com slash cowherd for more info. FanDuel.com slash cowherd. FanDuel, more ways to win. Um, okay, so let's get into some Sammy for Syria. How did this all come about for you to start taking some of these more like philanthropic endeavors? Thank you for asking about uh, the Sammy for Syria stuff because I'm always eager to talk about it and get as many eyeballs on it as possible. But so you're asking me where it all started from. Uh, obviously I have a close connection with Syria. I'm Syrian, all this stuff, but really it was born out of the realization that I felt like a big phony, uh, and a big kind of hypocrite because I, I just, I didn't do anything. I felt like I was one of these people who was like, that's awful. And, and, and I felt like, oh, well, I can pat myself on the back because I think it's awful. Most people don't even care, but at least I care. But what does that do, really? And there was a point where I had to come face to face with that realization. Like, you're, you're, you don't get points for caring. You can get, like, little points on social media. People give you some likes for it. But as far as actually sure, doing something. Sure. Right. And, and I, I came face to face with the realization that I wasn't doing anything. And so I started looking into the possibility of, of what can I do? And so I started researching and my brother's an activist and he's done a lot of uh, work with bringing refugees over actually to Canada, Syri- like Syrian refugee. Yeah, I have family from Syria who actually came over to Canada and he facilitated a lot of, a lot of that stuff. So I kind of asked him about some organizations he pointed me in the direction of Sam's as one that was based in the States. And when I looked more into them, the thing that really appealed to Sam's is the Syrian American medical society. And so the thing that really appealed to me was that they were boots on the ground. They were working in Syria um, as well as in, you know, refugee camps in neighboring countries. But that that's what really, I wanted to help the people that were stranded in there. And that's something that previously I'd felt completely powerless to do. You know, where do you even begin? You know, like you, you see what's going on in like Yemen as an example. And you're like, oh my God, that's horrible. I wish I could help those people, but you don't, you don't know where to start. You don't know where to begin. So you think there's this massive company like, I don't know, UNICEF or whatever. And you're like, I'll donate to that. So this was a bit more involved. Uh, and I got to get to, uh, you know, bounced ideas with them to where I could be more involved. And I saw all the millions of different things that they do. And uh, I saw that they do mobile clinics. So I said, well, wait a minute, what if I, you know, raised money, could we start a a mobile clinic? And they kind of looked at the need for it and if they could facilitate it and all this stuff. And it was a possibility. So that's how it all started. How much money did you have to raise to do that? The first mobile clinic that we did in 2017, I think the immediate goal that we needed was 50,000 or 48,000 or something like that, just to get it, just to get it started. 
that wouldn't even cover, you know, operational costs beyond maybe a first couple of months. Uh, but we were able to keep that running for about a year. And then I did some other stuff with them, like humanitarian relief stuff. And now, was it a 20? I'm so mixed up with the years. We have one running currently. And it's a bit, it's a much, much more state of the art, uh, you know, uh, I don't not, not facility, but the vehicle is, is much more equipped. So we have one operational right now to date. We've raised over $250,000, which is crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm just, Congratulations. So yeah. well, I'm just very grateful for that because it's, I mean, I put some money in there for myself, but it's, it's really a collective effort. Um, and again, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about that relying on each other and the power of unity and all that kind of stuff of depending on one another, if you pool your resources together, the amazing things that are possible, you know what I mean? So all these people donated a little bit here, a little bit there. And over time it's added up to over $250,000. Do you have like a tally on a number of like how many people you've been able to help? I'm sure that's hard to keep track yeah, of. Yeah, It's but- very hard to keep track of, but I know they sent me a, a report in September and I forget the numbers off the top of my head, but they blew my mind. It was something like, uh, what was the number? It was like 4,500 something services in one month. Wow. And they gave me a breakdown of what the services were. And that actually really put it in perspective. Cause when you're talking about something like this, it's so abstract. When you talk about helping people in a foreign country, you don't really know what that entails, but you're just like, Oh yeah, we're doing good. We're raising money, medical services, hooray. But you don't really understand the real you know, there's an objectivity to that. It just seems so detached. But then when they started sending me reports of, okay, here's 4,500 medical services and 600 of those services were for gastrointestinal and 1,100 were for, uh, you know, infections and for urinary. And all of a sudden you can really start, that kind of started to humanize the folks that are getting the help because you've had those ailments. And you remember how miserable life was without treatment for that and, and what a difference maker it is. And in some cases, some of that stuff could be life-saving when you're talking about diabetics or, uh, you know, people who need penicillin or whatever, whatever it is, getting medication out to them. So, uh, I don't know, I guess that kind of stuff puts it in perspective or when they send me updates with, uh, pictures or videos of the people or the kids that are getting helped, that's when it really kind of hits me like a, like a bucket of water where it's like, oh my God, this these aren't just numbers. It's not just an abstract idea of helping people. These are the people getting this specific help. And that's one of the things that I love about the mobile clinic and about the Sami for Syria thing. And this is not to knock any of the big organizations like uh, UNICEF or Red Cross or whatever, but those organizations are so big that when you donate, first of all, you feel like it's a drop in the bucket and you don't really know what it's doing. Whereas this is, uh, it's much smaller and I could show you the direct results that you had. And one direct result is there was no clinic. And now you're looking at a picture of a fully equipped mobile medical unit. And that's a direct result of this money. So that's one of the things that I love about uh, this particular thing that we're doing is that you get to actually see the results. It's not sort of just lost in some huge pool of money that you don't really know where it goes. You know exactly where it's going. It's so cool to think of you like starting that. Like I remember when you first started putting out the tweets about it being like, oh, this is great to, yeah, now have it being this like fully functioning, saving lives, helping people day in, day out. 
I mean, you want to talk about just being able to sit back and you, you've worked hard for the things that you do, mm. but now to be able to like give back to a certain yeah. degree. I mean, it's, it's really cool. Cause like you said, it's so easy to sit back and be like, Oh man, that looks bad. Or I wish I could help with this, that you've done it. Yeah. But you know, I, I still, I get it. I get it. I understand the defeatist mindset a little bit when it comes to these things that seem so big that it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like there's something you can do. And you look at our current, uh, you know, social and political and economic situation. And it just seems like, how are we ever going to get out of so many of these issues? How do you even talk about fixing these issues? Where do you even begin? It's overwhelming. And not only that, but these systems are all uh, inextricably linked. It's like, you can't just fix one thing. You can't just say like, for example, with the police reform and all the stuff that came out of the George Floyd protests, like fix policing. Okay. It's not an isolated thing. It's tied to all these other things. You know what I mean? These are very, very complex issues. It's so deep. Yeah. It's so deep and you don't know where to begin. So this was my eye opening thing that even though I still feel like that sometimes, I do know that it's not, it's not true. I can snap myself out of it because I've experienced firsthand the ability to do something that felt overwhelming. You know what I mean? With, with the serious thing. I mean, even getting to it's WWE. It's just starting with something. It's, right. it's picking something and starting and making it come true. And you would think it's kind of a lesson I would have already learned with WWE because, again, as a 16 or 17-year-old scrawny little Arab kid from Montreal, it seems like climbing Mount, Mount Everest. Like It just didn't seem like anything that ever had any real possibility but here we are uh and yeah i worked hard to get there and a lot of luck was in, and a lot of luck was involved didn't you just celebrate like almost not like it, it was 19 years 19, yeah, since yeah. your first match like almost two decades of wrestling wild man what are some of like the big moments that stand out for you from like first time stepping into a ring to getting to you know be part of wrestlemanias and different pay-per-views and all the crazy things you're doing now <laughs> Yeah, I can't even speak about, uh, how do I put this? I can't even speak about particular moments because there's so many. There's so many that I, I, and I'm just so lucky to have experienced all these things. But it's almost more like I can break them down into chapters. You know, so for example, when I go back to talking about first meeting all these French Canadians, these Quebecois and writing to them to shows in Quebec City, you know, At the time, that seemed to just last forever. But when I look back now, after almost 20 years, that was a dot. That was like the first year, year and a half. And then by a year and a half, I I broke out and started wrestling in the States. And that was a whole new chapter, that feeling of being young and crossing the border illegally. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get them out of our We've country. We've all done it. Yeah. We've all done it. Look out, Rainbow Bridge. We're all coming across. Oh, I could go. Ooh, I could go on a big one about this subject, but I'll, <laughs> I'll dance away. Um, <laughs> but all this to say, that feeling of, uh, oh my God, I'm wrestling in the states, being young and uh, 18, 19, and packing five, six guys from Montreal and going down to the states and going down to Philly or getting on my first plane, that thing of just being in the States for the first time and wrestling in the States for all these Big little deal. Yeah. Especially for promotions that I was studying tapes of like ring of honor or IWA mid South or pro wrestling gorilla. So I'm studying these tapes and all of a sudden I'm here. And that feeling of just this newness, it's very hard to articulate, but I I've had so it many sounds of those- very like romanticized. Like you think about these things and you finally get there and it's like, it lives up to the hype. It sounds like it lived up to all the things you wanted it to be. 
Well, that depends. That's, I think that's a matter of perspective. That's a matter of how you approach these things when you get there. And I have so many of those. And again, my God, how grateful I am for how many of those I have. Like the first time going to Europe and I'm in wrestling in England or the first time I'm in Japan or, you know, there's been a handful of really surreal moments. And one that I'm sure you could probably relate to is the first time you see the Eiffel Tower in person, because it's this thing that you've seen your whole life on television and movies and whatever cartoons and in these Archie comics that my phone is currently <laughs> sitting on right now to, to raise the camera. Like it's this thing you see growing up and you know about it, you know about it. And then one day you're there and it's right in front of you. And there's this surreal, almost goosebumps inducing moment. You're like, I can't believe it's here. I can't believe I'm here. It's just so surreal. It just, it's almost hard to, believe it. And I had that so many times, um, you know, uh, first time in Paris for sure. Moscow was a big one. The first time I was in red square and those Tetris, you know, Tetris, the church there. And I'm like, I can't believe this is in front of me. This is, this is a different world. This is a different history. This is a different culture. This is a different everything. What am I doing here? Again, medieval Kings couldn't do this. this you know what I'm saying? They couldn't just hop on a plane and be in on the other side of the world in 18 hours or whatever it is. I just can't believe I'm experiencing this. I, I, I've gone all over the world. And that, I don't know, that feeling of newness, I, I don't think it's, um, when, you, when you talk about it living up to the hype, I think that's a matter of perspective because there are people I know that get very jaded, very quick to things. You know, so Davari, I remember Davari because uh, – when he was on the independence and I was on the independence, he knew about my love for traveling and going all these places. He's just like, eh, it's all the same. A city's a city. He's like, uh, you know, you go to Sydney, Australia, or you go to, you go to Milan, there's a McDonald's everywhere. It's a city's a city. And I was like, no, that's no. How could you view the world that way? No. And, and I, I get what he's saying to a certain extent, but that just shows the different perspectives on the same thing on something like traveling to all these different worlds and cities and towns and whatever, uh, you can easily just become jaded to it, especially when you're in WWE. And you'll ask John, you know, when we'd be on these European tours, uh, I really caught the rep towards the end, especially as being like the life liver, <laughs> you know, like, guys, let's go get coffee, get food. And like, we're in Italy. Can you believe? Well, you're it? also not dealing with a hangover. Most of the dudes would have been dealing with a hangover. So you, you at least were dodging that. That's something that used to drive me crazy about John sometimes too. Cause I'd be like, Oh my God. Yeah. You're in Paris or you're in, you're in Rome. Did you eat any great pasta? He's like, no, I, catering. yeah, he'd be in catering. He'd just, he'd rather take a nap. He's in like survival mode to like just protect his body and get in his workout. And like, that's, that's his like mindset where I'm like, let's go traverse the square to me. And I had this attitude very early and I think I've held on to it even after going to these countries in some cases, dozens of times. I still approach it like, uh, I can't believe I'm here. We're here. People save for years to come here. People dream of coming to these places and we're here and we're only here for an afternoon or, you know, a few hours. I could work out anywhere all the time. And look, working out's part of the job. So I'm not saying, you know, if anything, there were times I'm like, ah, I'll work out when we get to Dayton, you know, when we get back to Dayton, Ohio, whatever, who cares? Like, there'd be times that definitely blow off my workouts, especially in Europe, because we're in Europe. You gotta, you gotta let you, you have you to, have I think that's your obligation. obligation. And that's the word I was going to use. I had a sense of obligation to, to honor 
the, um, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Not the opportunity. I have to honor this. It's my duty to honor this for those that can't, <laughs> for those that can't, the people that can't be there. You should be filling up your eyes and your soul and your stomach. You should be tasting foods from different places and you should, yeah, don't like the idea of going to a chain restaurant somewhere in Europe, like that would bring don't me to get tears. Me started. You have no idea. That would bring me to tears. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, this is a funny story, but, uh, the first time I went to Chile and it was on the independence, uh, they had booked Roderick strong. I think something happened. I was going to go, they, my, my show got delayed. They ended up bringing in, I don't remember if he was a replacement or not. All I know is he went to, to Chile a few months before me. When I got there, first of all, I made them, uh, keep me there for three extra days. That was one of my things. If I'm going to a new country, I'm not, I don't want to go in and out. I want to hunker down. I want to see, you know what I'm saying? I want to be in it. So, you know, I get there and I'm like, okay, uh, what's, what's the typical food and uh, what's, where, where do we go? What are the sites? What are the, you know, take me around and they would take me. And then I'd ask about all these monuments and what the history was and what the politics are like. And what's the language, like what, what's the country that you guys hate and what's the rivalry there. And I'd, I'm asking all these questions. And I remember the promoters like, man, you're so different from Roderick. I go, what, what do you mean? He's like, he, we never saw him. He just, he wanted to, he just wanted a gym. He wanted a place to just grab a couple of beers. And that was it. He just stayed in his hotel, worked out. And I'm not sitting here trashing Roderick by any means. I was furious with him and I couldn't wait to see him in the United States so that I could chastise him and go, what, what is wrong with you? It is your duty. It is your duty to enjoy Chile. It is your obligation to enjoy the country. How dare you work out and grab a couple of beers? <laughs> I was furious. I don't know if it's like just being so singularly focused on something. I mean, John and I talk about this all the time because every time after we would do TVs in London or Manchester, I would parlay that into a trip to go somewhere else, whether I was going to Madrid or I was going to um Lisbon, oh my, like I've, I've done all these beautiful places. Free flight to Europe, right? Why wouldn't you take exactly. advantage? Yes, take advantage of that. And John's like, oh, enjoy your trips. Like he was like, would like make fun of me thinking I was being like bougie for one. Just I'm like, no, I just want to like go experience like these different places in the world. We both have that sort of same lust for life and, and you know, regards to experiencing different foods and cuisines and cultures and tastes and sounds and smells. And in addition to that, I'm actually very happy to hear that you view it the same way in that you're honoring this gift. And I'm not just talking about the gift of being afforded the luxury of being paid handsomely to travel to these exotic corners of the world and do the job that you dreamed of doing as if that's not good enough. It's, it's just the gift, the gift of life, man. You know what I'm saying? You're going to honor the gift of life. Well, I was really fascinated with, um, or inspired by, I guess, when you had the double shoulder surgery for your rotator cuffs, you and your wife went and traveled the world. Like you got to travel a lot. Where all did you guys go during that time? Because a lot of people like take that downtime and they just want to like recoup at home and whatever. I mean, I know you were like rehabbing and had to do all the proper PT things you've got to do to get back on track and all that, but you guys actually went and like experienced the world together. Right. So this is something that depending on who you ask, it was either fool foolish or, you know, found it inspiring. So it depends on how you look at it. But I obviously I had to keep doing my rehab. I couldn't just completely stop doing it. But yeah, you know, there are people that, uh, you know, I know Hunter, Triple H, 
or even uh, Finn, for example, when he had their surgeries, they lived in Birmingham, Alabama, so that they could train, you know. And I, I was down for some of that. I, I would want to go to Alabama every now and again. Uh, and I'd do some of my rehab at the PC, most of it at the PC. And then if I was going home to Montreal, I would do my rehab there. But then you reach a certain point in your rehab after the first um, couple of months, especially for shoulders. You know, you know what your exercises are and you just got to do that. But I don't have to do, I don't have to be in Birmingham, Alabama to do some external rotations with the band. I can do that in Switzerland, right? So, so that's what I did. You know, we went to, um, we went to, God, we were just talking about it the other day. Some of the best trips of my whole life, man. I can't believe how lucky I am. Uh, we went to one that was like Iceland, Norway, and Switzerland, just three of the most beautiful countries. And then um, Scotland and Ireland and England. And these are places I've been a thousand times, but not a thousand. I've been there a lot. But uh, it was different going, especially A, with her. She'd never been. So that's a whole new kind of beautiful thing to experience it through someone that you love and care for through their lens, as you will with your daughter one day, you know. But then also doing it now, not as a part of WWE, which has been years to where I'm in London, a, a wonderful city or Dublin, a wonderful city where I have more than three hours. Like I went on the London Eye. I did some tourist shit. How is your body feeling now? Oh, tremendous. Tremendous. I'm very, very lucky. Uh, you know, my range of motion is a little funky on my one of my shoulders and it clicks and whatever, but overall it's great. Uh, this new schedule is really tremendous for your body, for sure. Your new, your, I wouldn't say your new character. It's not a new character per se, but the evolution of Sami Zayn is like you, I mean, you crack me up in general, but like, I just like watching like the, the social media posts you're putting out and the, like the documentary you're working on, how much of that is just you in the driver's seat with the creative on this? A fair bit. And, you know, I heard, I heard John's now infamous podcast. Oh yes. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Uh, and I understand. And that frustration exists to a certain extent for all the talent. I mean, any, anybody who's remotely uh, creative and has to work, and this is excluding WWE, this is excluding wrestling, even this is just the, the arts and showbiz and whatever. I mean, if you are an artistic and creative person who wants to do things, but then the higher up you get, in the world of show business, the more, the less creative control you have, but the more money you make. Right. So it's this weird relationship between rising and, um, and having creative freedom. And there's this battle between the two. I'm pretty fortunate to where I actually feel like I've had a lot of my ideas go through kind of shocking amounts, especially in the last two years. Well, like when you came back, and you kind of turned on the crowd and started cutting those promos. That must have been such an eye-opening experience for Vince to be like, oh, we can trust this guy on the mic to like really deliver some, some interesting content. You know what's funny? There was, I forget what it was. There was this weird, you never know which segment's going to be the one that really opens their eyes. Because I think I was already doing pretty good work in the ring. I think I'd already established myself as a, someone who's more than competent in the ring and more than, more than competent holding my own on the microphone as a good guy. But then especially I thought I was doing some really good mic work as a bad guy, even before all this. But then there was this one day uh, where I, I was like a guest referee or something for Kevin versus Seth. I was just doing me. Like I wasn't really, I didn't even have any mic time. I was just, you know, banter that the, the mic, the, the camera would pick up. 
when I was being a ref, when I got back, they were all like doubled over. And they're like, that's kind of what I think inspired the idea for me to start being a mouthpiece for Shinsuke. I came back and Vince was like, you've got the gift of gab. We got to, we got to, you know, there's just something. And I wasn't even cutting a promo. I was being a ref, but they just started seeing me in this new light. We're like, this guy, he, he can be so much. He can do so much for other people, even not just like, I think they saw a broader vision for me in that moment. As somebody who could be a manager even 10, 15, 20 years down the road and help other guys and all that kind of thing. And it was just some strange light bulb that went off when they just started seeing me in a bit of a different light. And I think there was a new trust, maybe not, not carry a segment to your point to, to be a trusted guy. You can fill some time. I mean, it's like, it's being able to fill some time and it's very clear to me that it's like, you're not handed a promo that is a three page long promo. I mean, it seems like a lot of that truly is just you talking or maybe you're writing them ahead of time, whatever, but I can like knowing you the way that I know you, I can see that like transparency of like, Oh, that's just Sammy being Sammy. Like it's it's great. And for sure. I'm one of the luckier guys because I mean, it took a while for my ideas to start kind of getting through but I'm sure John had a million ideas that he was pitching, you know, and, and he was a top guy. He was the champion, sure. but I'm sure, you know, it's sometimes you just don't get them through. It's, I just started getting lucky out of nowhere. And then because some of the stuff was working and I had good relationships with the writers, uh, you know, I don't know, just, I'm very lucky. I can't complain as much as other guys when it comes to pitching things and actually getting them. I have gotten away with a lot more than most. So I don't feel like I'm in a position to complain about that by any means. Do you ever get told to like reel it back? Cause I feel like, I mean, once you start going, as we can see on this show, I'm sure they must be like, don't go there. Don't talk about that. Like, does that come up for you? Well, so part of my process is um, when I'm working with writers on putting my stuff together, I want to put it together. This is how I like to work. I like to be in charge of the idea or not in charge, but I like to have my idea. I like to give it to you and I like you to edit it a little bit and make it concise, make it deliverable in the allotted time we need. Uh, Or, you know, in the case of a producer, make sure it's in line with Vince's vision or whatever. But that's what I like. I like these people. I, I, I have in, in certain moments been called, you know, difficult or whatever, but you'll find that the only times I'll be difficult is when things are being dictated to me. I don't like that. I'll admit I can be difficult for sure if you're dictating what I should, what I have to do, especially if I don't think if it's good. Like if you dictate, here's what you have to do and it's great. I'm like, oh man, that's great. I'll go with it. You'll get no pushback for me. But if you're telling me here, this is what you're doing and it's, and it's not good, I will be combative. Well, you can also be a, a rather misunderstood <laughs> person because you end up in these like Larry yeah, David yeah, moments. Yeah. You know, my, my problem, Renee, is that I'm not the best at, uh, I I hate to even use this expression, but like playing the game, like it's a gift and a curse. My heart's on my sleeve. I'm way, I'm very transparent and it's a gift and a curse. And when it comes to, you know, uh, WWE, there've been times I got better at it, but there's a certain language that you speak and a certain vocabulary. So as to not be so forceful or whatever, you know, and it's just actually, it's just tact. It's just tact. And I'll admit, I haven't always been the most tactful. There, there are times I, you know, I maybe over uh, estimate to the relationship I have with someone. So I'm very upfront with what I say. So I don't know. It's just about navigating 
It's man, it's a never ending learning process of learning to navigate different people, who you can say what with, how you could say what with, with whom. Your language has to change with certain people. Yeah. Yes. And, and that was never a thing in my life until I got to WWE. So I didn't learn those skills of, you know, Jedi mind tricks and wanting to get my stuff in and, but saying it in a way You're that- battling English, French, Arabic. You're trying to learn how to yeah. juggle it all. <laughs> Throw the guy a bone. <sighs> Yeah. Well, don't feel bad for me. It all worked out pretty well. You're fine. You're fine. (laughs) Okay. I've got two more questions for you before I let you go. One, when are you and Logan Paul going to get together? Is this going to happen? We're going to get Logan Paul into WWE. I don't know. I know I, uh, I'm interested in his YouTube reach for sure because these, uh, these corporate pigs at WWE, I don't know if they're going to put out my documentary and I don't know if I'm going to get final cut if they do put it out. So I need to make sure that I have someone in my corner with some reach. You know what I'm saying? I got to get this out to the masses. You need, you need a platform. You need a platform. So that's what that's about. You got to think about these things. You yeah, know? you have to. I mean, listen, you're a man with a message and the people, the corporate pigs cannot bring you down. Not today. Not today. I'll tell you, I love being able to sneak little, um, like there's a lot of little political undertones and things like that to my character. And I love that every now and again, I'm able to slip these little snarky remarks in or I weave them into my character. <laughs> I love it. That's one thing I'm really happy about is when you talk about the evolution of the character is that there is so much of me in there that I, and the character has gone further and further where now I'm able to sneak in little things that I want to get in there. I'm really happy about, like, I think I cut this promo on Thanksgiving, calling it like a, a uh, holiday that celebra- celebrates the genocide against the ind- indigenous population. And I couldn't believe I got away with saying yeah, that. Yeah, you think they would cut that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it got on television. And I was so proud. I was so proud that I got to say that on WWE programming. The little victories. It's having victories like that that make things worthwhile. You're like, all right, I'm on the right track. You know. And being able to tell my you own know. story. Um, so one thing that I learned about you recently that I did not know is that you're a Guns N' Roses guy. Yeah, you didn't. I did not know that about you. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know what? I don't know that you and I ever really talk music, which is kind of shocking. Well, they're one of many bands I like. I just like good stuff. Is there like a Guns N' Roses story? Did something happen with like... Is this about Axel? Or? Yes, I believe so. Who told you about this? <laughs> 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 yeah, I've told this story on a few podcasts, but there was an incident where I uh, I did meet Axel Rose backstage at a Guns N' Roses concert. It, it uh, didn't go well. <laughs> uh, I got yelled at... Um, it was, yeah, it was upsetting. It's been, but the story has been told a few times. I don't want to tell it again on your podcast because people can hear it if they want to find it. But uh, it was definitely, you know, it was a perfect example of doing the wrong thing. Like a, a real sin. I asked him for a picture when I knew I shouldn't have asked him for a picture. But in the exact moment when I did it, it's because I realized as I was turning, I just wanted to say, hey, great show. Great to meet you. Big fan. I botched the delivery of all of that. I'm saying it very calm now, but when I actually said it, I was like, man, you know, all right. You know, it was like, I don't know what the hell happened. I became like some nineties California surfer dude. And, um, and that's all I want to do is just say, Hey, Axel, I just want to let you know, 
I'm a big fan. I really appreciate the years of great music you've put out. And that's all I wanted to do in my head. So I did that. And I thought, well, we're, we're backstage and we had an in with the band. There was a guy named Bumble, uh, Bumblefoot who was playing guitar for Guns N' Roses. And he was our in. So we were already backstage. And I thought, ah, maybe, I'll, maybe, maybe if the right thing happened, the right circumstances line up, I'll ask him for a picture. How insane would that be to get a picture with Axl Rose? It's like the most elusive thing ever. So that was my mindset. But then as I botched my greeting to Axel, I was like, okay, I realized I was a swing and a miss. So we're 0 for 1, no problem. Later in the night, I'll clean it up. I'll clean it up. I'll, I'll establish a rapport. We'll both be hanging out. I'll, I'll notice him drinking some Dr. Pepper. I'll go, oh, you too, Dr. Pepper. Me too, man. That's my favorite stuff. And I'll build a little rapport. Something will happen, but I'll, I'll fix this later. But then what happened is I was turning around to leave. And somehow, the, the, when when Bumble, 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 yeah, but he brought us backstage. I guess all these like radio listener people who had won backstage passes somehow followed us in. So now the room was flooded with people, and I realized in that exact moment, this is my own. This is it. There will never be FaceTime with Axl Rose ever again. This is it. Because either he's gonna see all these people. And be like, oh, what is this? Get out. Everybody <laughs> out. Everybody out right now. Yeah. Or whatever. However he talks, you know. And uh, or or he's just going to talk to like the super hot models or whatever. Uh, either way, it was over for old Sammy. <laughs> that was, it was, so that was my now or never moment. So as I was going to walk away, I'm like, you got to swing. You got to swing for this one. So I turn it. Bear in mind, the guy, I left out one detail. He's in a bathrobe. And he just played a three and a half hour show. Imagine John just did the main event and did 45 minutes and he's about to shower and, and somebody walks into male talent, walks into the dressing room and asks him for a picture when he's in a towel about to take a shower. That's when I asked him for a picture. He screamed. He said, yeah, not now. The room just kind of went silent and it was uh, not, not my finer moment. And, and, you know, I didn't really know how to recover that. And I was like, yeah, not, not now. Now, as I slinked away to the corner with my, you had to take your swing. You had to step up to bat. You had to. You had to. You owe it. You owe it to the gift of being backstage at a Guns N' Roses concert, meeting Axl Rose, to take that chance. It's your obligation to be inappropriate and ask the man for a picture while he's in a bathrobe after he just put three and a half hours of hard work in. That is your duty as a fan. As a life liver. What's better if you had gotten the photo or actually having this ridiculous story to tell forever? Actually, I think it's the story because it's been, it's like, it's been banded around now. It's been circulating on the internet for years. Uh, Cliff Compton was backstage with me. I don't know if you know him. Uh, I don't know him, no one, but I know of him. Yeah. And he's been telling the story. He'll, he'll still message me every once in a blue moon and be like, man, can you believe that night? It's, 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 it's tattooed. It's tattooed in my brain now. And, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good one. It's a good one. You know those hot takes you post on social media? Well, now you can win up to $5,000 when you put those takes to the test on FanDuel. It's a new game called Over Under, and it's absolutely free to play on FanDuel. So here's how it works. FanDuel will set lines on things like total points or three-pointers made during every NBA on TNT broadcast. All you have to do is pick over or under for every prop. Your picks could win you a share of $5,000 during every contest. FanDuel is the exclusive home for over-under, and it's available in all 50 states. You can play from anywhere. 
All you have to do is go to fanduel.com slash over under and sign up now. If you've not done so already, please just do it. You're going to love it. Just create a new FanDuel account. And if you don't already have one, it takes less than two minutes to sign up. Then you put your takes to the test during every NBA on TNT broadcast at fanduel.com slash over under. They could be worth up to 5,000 bucks. Do it. Age and location restrictions apply. See fanduel.com for terms and conditions. That was fantastic. Honestly, I could sit here and chit chat with you for hours, uh, but I will let you go. Well, great catching up, Renee, and let's do it again. Maybe a uh, podcast or no podcast. Let's chat again. I'm, I'm so happy to talk to you. All right. Listen, it's been a blast hanging out with you. I would have you on the show every week um, because I love just getting to hang out with you. I legit miss having these conversations with you at TVs. What a time. All right. What a guy. What a guy that Sami Zayn. He's like when he gets on his tangents, you can't help but like I love I love watching where his brain is going to go in the things that he's been festering on throughout the week or things that he's been thinking about. And I, I just, I love getting to hear his point of view on things. He's, he just, he cracks me up. He's the best dude. Uh, so hopefully you guys enjoyed this. I had a blast having him on. I feel like I could like make him a co-host or something for the show. And we would always, uh, you know what? That would be a bad idea. Cause we would get nothing done. Um, him and I would just bullshit all day about ridiculous things, but maybe that's what the people want. I don't know. It's something to think about. All right, guys, uh, we are almost into WrestleMania. Holy crap. Uh, I cannot wait to see Sami Zayn versus Kevin Owens. Obviously, we know the the deep-rooted history between these two men. So you can only imagine how freaking stoked these two guys are. Two best friends since they were like however old, 16, 17, 18. And now they get to go have a singles match at WrestleMania and in front of some people. How exciting. You guys know what to do here. This is my part of the podcast where I insist, please, I insist that you follow on Instagram. Me, I am, or Instagram and Twitter. My socials are both at Renee Paquette for The Volume Network. It is at The Volume Sports on Instagram and Twitter. And the old YouTube. Love plugging the YouTube. Um, I'm actually going to be um, putting out very soon uh, a mukbang. Do we know what a mukbang is? It sounds like it's some kind of porn, and I'm pretty sure it's not. But I'm just going to try a bunch of food and put it up on the YouTube. Maybe you guys liked it? I don't know. It seems like a thing that the internet's into, and I'm hungry all the time. So we're going to work on this. Uh, okay, so check out my YouTube page. It is also just under Renee Paquette, but all the stuff from Oral Sessions is up there. We've got full-length episodes of the show. We've got clips from the show. So subscribe, comment, like, all of the things. This has been a very long outro, so I'm going to leave now. Thanks for listening to Oral Sessions, guys. See you next time. Bye.